This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So what was your favourite part of the holidays? Really? You sure? Okay. And, uh, Disneyland? You, uh, you liked that? When we went there? It was okay. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, Vietnam, with the snorkelling and the helicopter ride, the... No. The vast landscapes of wondrous scenery didn't do it for you. No, your favourite thing was Radio Wolfgang. Huh. What, what's that? The app. You, you really like the Radio Wolfgang app? Huh. Okay. Cool. And the hotel? No, that wasn't your favourite? Still, yeah. That's, it's just, you're only five years old. You sure Radio Wolfgang was your favourite thing? And getting ice cream. Right. The Radio Wolfgang app and ice cream. Great. Good summer. So they said it had never happened. It's happened. We made it happen. We've got our own Twitter handle. Uh, so follow us. Uh, it's at Scienceish. No, it's not. It's at science underscore ish. What? So, I'm sorry. It's it's a bit shit. Who's got it? science ish? I don't know. Can we buy it off them? <laughs> Surely we're the premier science ish. You'd think, wouldn't you? Well, it's better than being at science ish one, which is what <laughs> yeah. I effectively at have on science-ish Twitter. Science ish yeah. 2016. Hmm. So no. uh, at science underscore ish. That's right. Snappy, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end know dark is right, because their words had fought no lightning bay. Do not gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying three light. The trouble with black holes and, and the clues in the name is that they're black and the sky is also mostly black so it, it's very hard to see these objects unless something else is, is happening with them unless they're ripping apart a star or unless they're colliding with another black hole. Sometimes people think a black hole is sort of like this giant vacuum cleaner in space and that it inevitably is going to suck everything you know within range in, inside it and that's not quite right. Goodbye, 
prepared to detach. What? No, no! We're not meant to save the world. We're meant to leave it. Black holes are one of the few places that we know that Einstein's theory of relativity must break down and we must need a quantum theory of gravity. The second place we know that, that Einstein's theory breaks down is at the very beginning of the universe. Yeah, I, I don't think if you're, if you're jumping into a black hole, I don't think you're going anywhere interesting, at least not, not with your atoms held together in, in one piece, and you're certainly not going to end up in your daughter's bookshelf. These are perhaps the last two missing strands in our understanding of the universe, unifying general relativity and quantum mechanics, and anyone who can do this will be my hero. Hello and welcome to Science Dish. So we're going to try something slightly different uh, for this, which is our 1010th episode. Oh, nice. Yeah, a little bit of binary. You like that, don't you? I did. (laughs) (laughs) What did it mean, Michael? Uh, It's our 10th episode. Absolutely right. So what we're going to do for our 1010th episode is apply the the maxim that the customer is always right to this show. So for this episode, we are going to go with the people, uh, one person uh, to be precise. A big shout out to Oliver Sury, who on February the 15th tweeted us and said this. Greetings, Radio Wolfgang. Love the latest science-ish episode. Well, you've got ears, mate. Fans of Interstellar, question mark. Luckily for you, Oliver, we were fans of Interstellar. <laughs> or Until we watched it. <laughs> well, doesn't apply to me. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, whether we're fans or not of it, we are now going to do an episode about it. Before we kick off, some big news. Um, I don't know if you want to do a, a drum roll, Michael. I don't know if you have that facility. You're with in a band. my fingers? Yeah, with your fingers. fingers. Okay, here we go. So, Science-ish now has a newsletter, <laughs> which I think it sort of legitimises what, the whole thing. I mean, it's what everybody's been waiting for. It's what we've been building towards, I think, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I assume so. It feels like the pinnacle. Um, to, um, to celebrate having a newsletter, uh, we have commissioned our in-house art genius, Ollie Murphy, to come up with some limited edition, range-topping, um, <laughs> exclusive science-ish prints for the first 100 subscribers. So if you are one of those first 100 subscribers, you will get a lovely print. I have already said I want one, so actually it might be more like 99 available. You can have one? Let's make that 98. Okay. I'm in. So if you want to sign up, uh, get yourself over to www.radiowolfgang.com and click on the science-ish tab. And that, that, I mean, that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. Now, to business, this really is what you've been waiting for, Brooksy. This is yeah, your time yeah, this to is shine. Me. This, this is, is me. your area, yes. space. Space. What is your, what's your expertise in the area? So, my expertise is in quantum physics. How? Z! <laughs> Which isn't actually really, you know, quite on the nose with Interstellar, because it's more about general relativity. There's quantum stuff in there, which we'll get into, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. And uh, for, for a physicist, it is a really interesting film, I have to say. So the format of the show, same as ever, we're going to look at all the science within Interstellar and unpick it. And Michael will say whether it's any good, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> uh, normally, I'd give a quick rundown of the plot of the film. 
Just for no reason, for no reason at all, I think better if you do it this time, Michael. No just reason have at a all. Go. No reason. No, no, really, I just think why not? You didn't see the film, did you? I downloaded the film, Michael. Oh well, that counts. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. And it's I somewhere there. The first twenty-five minutes. Right. And then I was just like, this is two hours fifty minutes long. <laughs> Well, let me tell you what, what goes on. So Earth is failing, as you'll know if you've seen the first Yeah, yeah, I know that minutes. bit. Earth, Earth is barren. Earth is barren, the crops are failing, and it turns out there's a secret NASA project to launch exploration missions, basically, into other galaxies to try and get out of our immediate neighbourhood because there's no planets we can occupy anywhere nearby. And is this a scientifically rigorous film though have they done their have they done their research do you know what i mean for hollywood it's very very rigorous so the original treatment was written by a hero of mine a guy called kip thorne oh yeah who's a proper astrophysicist you know works with stephen hawking he was the chief guy in the hunt for gravitational waves you know right in on everything that's important in the world really Okay. And uh, he wrote this treatment, and they did make a lot of effort to try and make things as realistic as possible. And the other amazing, brilliant thing about it is that Hollywood has all this computer power to do all the CGI stuff, and they used that to do some new physics. So they got new research papers out of it as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. actual scientists? Actual scientists. That's cool. Yeah. Scientists took the data, basically, from all the C- CGI work and worked out that the exact shape of a black hole is slightly different to what we thought. That's mental. It's brilliant, isn't it? And brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, well done, Christian. So I'm a big fan. Once we've gathered enough speed around Gargantua, we use Lander 1 and Ranger 2 as rocket boosters to push us out of the black hole's gravity. Prepare to fire escape thrusters. The lander's linking and even destroyed. Ready? Ready. So this, this film is sort of about general relativity then oh ultimately. definitely so so this film is really about a black hole which is a a, a result of general relativity as far as you know, or it's a result of gravity i should say because uh, a black hole as we all know you know is where general relativity actually breaks down the mm. laws of physics do not work inside a black hole so can you do a quick sort of summation of general relativity please basically what happens is anything that has mass or energy bends space-time. So we think of space as just being, you know, this sort of static thing on which we play out our lives. But actually, space bends and curves, and time does exactly the same thing in response to gravity or energy. Okay. Uh, And then black holes... You say that it breaks down in, but they are also a consequence of... So black holes are collapsed stars. So when stars come to the end of their lives and haven't got the energy to hold out against gravity, all of their atoms are basically pulling on each other, pull them ever smaller, and they collapse inwards on themselves. And as they collapse inwards, they get ever more dense, and that means the the gravitational field is ever more intense. And so it just keeps going and going, like a feedback mechanism, until you get to the point where actually it's so dense, it basically rips a hole in space-time. But, you know, this was sort of worked out in the 1930s. And people said, you know, this is mad. Like the most famous astronomer of the time, a guy called Arthur Eddington, called it stellar buffoonery, the idea that you would have something just sort of rip a hole in space and time. But what we can't do is actually work out what happens at that point of infinite curvature, which is known as the singularity. And Are you working on it at all, Michael? Uh, only in my spare time. And? Yeah, there's not a lot of it, you know, once mm. you've watched all these films and read these books for science-ish. Of course, of course. I've, by the way, I've read and watched everything else. There's <laughs> only this one. I've been quite busy. When people first worked out that black holes might exist, 
you're saying that people were were skeptical. Yeah, and for a long, long time, people didn't think that they existed. There was no proof because you can't see them. Famously, <laughs> so so you know you sort of have to say, well, how do we know they really exist? That I think is our first question. Then, do black holes actually exist? And that's a question that we asked Professor Amanda Peet from the University of Toronto and Professor David Tong from the University of Cambridge. First, here's Professor David. I think now there's an overwhelmingly clear case that black holes exist. But even back in the 90s there, you could find some people that would argue that maybe it's not open and shut. But I think by now it's just very, very clear that black holes exist in our universe. The first evidence that we have for why black holes exist is uh, simply that we can see places in the universe where we can tell there's a huge amount of matter squeezed into a region which should theoretically form a black hole. And we can't see anything in that region. We know there's stuff there because there are stars, for example, which... uh, which orbit this region. So we know that in the centre of every galaxy, for example, there's an enormous black hole that's about uh, 100 million times heavier than, than our sun. But we also expect that there are smaller black holes, maybe black holes around the mass of our sun or a little bit heavier, which exist dotted around the universe. When I was a teenager, I remember in high school asking my science teacher, is there such thing as a black hole? Is Cygnus X1 a black hole or is it something else? We didn't really know at that stage. But I think now if you polled, say, a thousand astronomers and physicists, would they think that black holes exist? And I would say the vast majority of them would. Black holes gravitate and things around them tend to get gravitationally attracted into something called an accretion disk. This is basically a whole bunch of very hot gas. And this accretion disk swirls around the black hole and friction can heat the gas up to millions of degrees Celsius. And these gases get very excited and they emit radiation in very specific ways. They emit, for example, X-rays. And we've seen those data coming from astronomy. And that's why I think pretty much everybody in my department, for example, would say, yeah, black holes do exist. Perhaps uh, the best evidence that we've got for black holes came just last month. So last month there was a a major discovery, I think one of the, the great scientific discoveries in the last few decades, which was the discovery of gravitational waves. We were recording an episode of Science Dish I think the day after gravitational waves were uh, identified, um, and you were extremely pumped. It was an amazing thing. Or it still is an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still loving it, to be honest. So gravitational waves are ripples of space and time that travel outwards at the same speed as light. And we could see from this signal that it was two black holes colliding. The black holes were both about 30 times the mass of the sun, They collided together in in what's by far the most violent event we've ever witnessed in in the universe. And uh, the signal that you see just agrees perfectly with uh, our theoretical expectations for what would happen if if two black holes collide. Lander one, prepare to detach. One mile mark. Three, two, one, mark. Detach. So Professor David was saying that 
the, the gravitational waves are effectively just providing evidence for this incredibly violent event, two black holes colliding. But how do they actually give us that evidence? So what they do is they, they work out how these two black holes would create ripples in space-time. So as they move around, their masses that are moving, and I said that masses affect space-time, they cause curvature. So as they move, they basically create ripples that are then sent out into the universe. And the exact way they swirl around one another, theorists can work it out, and that will tell you exactly what the shape of those ripples will look like. And the one for two colliding black holes is exactly what we saw with LIGO. So we're saying then that black holes do definitely exist but could we ever get to one? I mean, how close is the closest one? Well, we used to think the closest one to us was about 1,600 light years away. Which still is a while, isn't still, it? Still a bit away. Actually, they've redone the calculations now. And now the closest one to us is 3,000 light years away. Oh, we've and that's nightmare. a small one. So, mm. so the supermassive black hole that's at the centre of our galaxy, that's quite a long way away. That's 26,000 light years away. I thought you were just going to leave it at quite a long way away. <laughs> I think that's a given, Michael. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, there, there's nothing nearby, shall mm. we say. So the chances of us getting to one and uh, having a little poke around are quite slim. <laughs> They're quite they? slim. They're looking quite slim unless you're a, a movie director where you can invoke a warp drive. And so what is the, the sort of loose premise of a warp well, drive? So the idea of a warp drive is that you use energy to kind of contract the space in front of you, to mm-hmm. warp the space, you know, basically bring everything towards you. And you extend the space that's behind you. And it's sort of like, you know, it's like a slinky spring almost, like enables you to get yeah. through space, which is a lovely idea. Except Very nice. That, except that actually what you need is negative energy. And nobody knows if that really exists. Uh, let alone how you would harness it faster than light travel is just not possible as far as we know. Sorry. Mm, that is a shame. Relativistic spaceflight makes the universe accessible to advanced civilizations, but only to those who go on the journey, not to those who stay home. There, that, that, that's it. That's the wormhole. Say it, don't spread here, huh? thought it would just be a hole. So they say you want to go from here to there. But it's too far, right? Mm-hmm. What about going through a wormhole as, well, a, as a way of um, <laughs> Similar problem cheating. here. A wormhole is, a, again, a lovely idea where you, you, know, you have these two regions that are you know, vastly separated in space and you just curve space over in the middle, a bit like folding over a sheet of paper, and you punch a hole through so that it, it basically joins these two things up very close. Mm. They're called wormholes because I think it might have even been Kip Thorne was looking at how a worm goes through an apple and it can go from one side to the other. You know, rather than going all the way outside. And so he called them wormholes. So Kip Thorne's a great guy. He is a great, great guy. Uh, we actually, I'm going to do a plug here. Go on. Do you want me doing a plug? No, no, it's plug for away. us. Plug away. So we talked about wormholes in a previous episode of Science-ish. Wow. Uh, we talked about it in the time machine, and I used the, the sort of rubber sheet analogy, which I feel quite pleased about. Is that, um, is that still available? Yeah, I think that is still available. Um, and if you want to hear more about wormholes, just head to www.radiowolfgang.com <laughs> and you can download the app for our entire back catalogue. Whoa. And so that is nine whole shows. Or 1001 shows. Basically, 
unless you come up with this warp drive, smartish, we are not getting no. anywhere near no. a black hole no. anytime soon. No. If we could, yeah. Would we would we want to? <laughs> you know that phrase, nothing good can come from this. Mm. It could have been written about crossing the event horizon of a black hole. We asked this question, though, what would happen if I jumped into a black hole? Or anyone, to be fair, not just me. Uh, to Professor Poshat Gandhi from the University of Southampton. Uh, but first, Professor David again. A black hole has two main features. In fact, I'd say only two features, full stop. It's got something called an event horizon and something called a singularity. So the event horizon is the outer edge of the black hole. If you go through the event horizon, that's basically when, when you're doomed completely. If you're, if you're inside the event horizon, uh, there's no way you can ever get out of the event horizon. You're, you're stuck there for, for all eternity. And one of the surprising things that happens is that when you cross an event horizon, you have no idea that it's happened. Uh, you know, you just gently go through the event horizon. Uh, you don't feel any strong gravitational effects. It just seems like, like any other region of space. Uh, and it's only once you've entered the black hole that you try and turn around in your spaceship and, and boost out again uh, that, that you realise uh, actually you made a mistake, that um, you know, you've now crossed this part of space from which you can never return. As far as we understand, you will get drawn inexorably towards the singularity. You would slowly get what's called spaghettified, drawn out. So the gravitational forces change very rapidly as you move away from the black hole. Okay, So much so that even your feet, which may be closer to the black hole, say if you're falling in feet first, experience a much stronger tidal force, much stronger gravity than your head. So they get slowly drawn away from your head. Your feet get slowly drawn away from your head. And you also get compressed. So your body essentially becomes a long strand of spaghetti. One interesting possibility that's kind of people have been pushing on recently is that when you jump into a black hole and somebody else jumps into a black hole uh, in a different part of the universe, you both actually end up in the same region of space. So you could both jump in your black holes. Uh, once you're in, neither of you can get out, but that maybe you can communicate with each other once you're inside this region. Of course, you only have some finite time to, to chat with each other because this singularity is always waiting for you at, uh, at, at the end. So you don't get any choice. You're then, once you're inside, you do get sucked inexorably towards this, this singularity, and, and there's nothing good waiting for you there. There's, there's no daughter's bookshelf. It's... You know, it's a fairly miserable and, and, and gruesome death as, as your body gets ripped apart by, by these gravitational tidal forces. basically count me out um that uh reference to your daughter's bookshelf yeah so um, obviously confuses me because i haven't seen the film so so in the i don't know how far you got with the film but the books keep jumping off her bookshelf 
the the young child's bookshelf. Oh yeah, that happens at the start. Yeah, the explanation yeah. is that it's it's actually McConaughey. Him. Yes, spoiler behind the bookcase. <laughs> He's behind the bookcase, but like a future version in of himself, the fifth dimension or something. After he's fallen into the black hole, he uh, finds... it sounds like this film deteriorates rapidly. <laughs> I think you maybe got out at the right time. <laughs> yeah, he finds himself sort of behind his daughter's bookcase, looking into her room. But I think Nolan's explanation is that they're uh, connected by love, and love sort of conquers everything. All of this is one little girl's bedroom. Every moment. It's infinitely complex. They have access to infinite time and space, but they're not bound by anything. They can't find a specific place in time. They can't communicate. That's why I'm here. I'm going to find a way to tell Murph, just like I found this moment. How, Cooper? Love, Tars, love. It's just like Brand said. My connection with Murph, it is quantifiable. It's the key. What are we here to do? Find out, I tell her. It is the sort of sci-fi version of Disney's True Love's Kiss, really, mm. is that oh, we're connected by love, therefore when I get into this black hole, I'm actually going to find myself able to signal to my nearest and dearest what they should do in order to save humanity. Uh, but that's what oh, happens. So he does that from behind the bookcase? <laughs> from behind the bookcase, yeah. And he can't get through the bookcase? No, no, yeah. but he can somehow manage to make gravitational anomalies so that the books fall off. And, and oh, does he use, because they mention Morse code at the start, and he says he doesn't think it's that. What do they use? Yeah, he does use Morse code in the end, encodes it into the uh, watch. Massive spoiler alerts here. You're not going to bother to watch the film now, are you? I wasn't going to anyway. Uh, okay. Are there any other theories about what might happen to you apart from this spaghetti? Is spaghettification the, the technical term? Yeah, that is the technical term. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any other competing yeah, so, ideas? So um, another idea is that, as we've said, you fall into another dimension. Stephen Hawking said that this might be a way to access, you know, higher dimensions of space. I, I must say at this point that you can say whatever you like about this kind of process pretty much within reason because nobody's going to prove you wrong so there's loads and loads of hypotheses out there another one is that actually when you hit the event horizon you end up sort of burning up as you fall in or if you're trying to get out this kind of acceleration heats up the space time around you and you end up sort of burning yourself into ash but that is going to be a problem perhaps <laughs> Um, the funny in, thing in an area where I've got to say we've got a lot of problems <laughs> that's just another one to add to the yeah, list um, yeah 99 problems mm. and the black hole ain't one because no, you're, no, it, get- <laughs> well, you're not the, even getting it's the main there. one actually <laughs> but you're not even getting there so, you, so you're eventually you're falling towards the singularity and the interesting thing is that somebody who's watching you from a distance a safe distance away will see you hit the event horizon laugh obviously <laughs> yeah. unlucky mate and they see you, but the light that's coming from you is distorted by the black hole's gravity. And so they see a kind of distorted, blurred image of you, which fades to red because of the distortion from gravity and dims as well. So, that, so they sort of see you frozen, effectively, in time. And uh, they never see you fall beyond the event horizon because it has this massive catastrophic effect on the light that's coming out. And then you gradually turn red and dim and they never see you again. That's actually not a bad way to go out. Well, I mean, that's from the perspective of the person who's not falling yeah, into the Yeah, but that's hole. what people are going to write, isn't it? I'm not going to say, and then I saw him turn into spaghetti. I'd rather just sort of glow red and then and then dim. It's quite sort of poetic, really. Yeah, okay, if that's what you want. Um, I'm not saying it's what I want, but in, in that <laughs> quite, frankly, shit scenario, <laughs> I'd rather that my, I'm assuming it's like one of my loved ones is watching, <laughs> I'd rather they didn't see me get turned into spaghetti. Let's say that I do get to the singularity. I haven't been spaghettified. 
and I've just uh, I've floated floated down there, hit the singularity, hit the infinite curvature. <laughs> now what? I can't answer that question. Nobody can answer that question. R- roughly speaking, do I just get sort of... Um, we don't have laws of physics that deal with that scenario. Is it most likely I just sort of get absorbed into the enormous mass that is at the... Most likely is a difficult one to, 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 to kind of answer when you don't know anything about this situation. But you could equally argue that you'll find yourself in a completely different part of the universe that actually maybe it's a wormhole and you'll just sort of be spat out the other side. Mm-hmm. And and you're just floating in space, which, by the way, you can't survive anyway, obviously. Because or, you've just been crushed. Because to, you've just to, been crushed, and, and yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. crushed to nothing feels fairly certain, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're not going to survive. Would be my likely scenario. <laughs> yeah. Any trick to this, Doyle? No one knows. The others made it, right? At least some of them. So when we talk about different dimensions, and this is something that is happening in the film, so McConaughey is in the fifth dimension when he's behind the bookcase, yeah. which is not a line I ever thought I'd hear myself <laughs> say. How many dimensions do we think there might be? Will we ever be able to prove it? We think there might be... 11 dimensions of space. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet worked out a way to prove that. Because basically the answer, you know, you say, oh, well, where are they then? And uh, they could be sort of rolled up really small is the, uh, is the answer, like a carpet. And, and would these be physical dimensions or dimensions like time? No, they're physical dimensions. But then, you know, time is a physical dimension as well. So space and time Oops. in uh, Einstein's general relativity are effectively the oh, same thing. they're the thing. same thing, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, they're the okay. same thing. And do we think that anything else exists within those dimensions? We don't have a clue. It's quite frustrating, this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And this is your area. You've chosen not, the frustrating not, not area. quite my area. But you want to get your, your quantum involved. Here, uh, yeah, yeah, so quantum comes into this as we try and work out what's going on with those extra dimensions. Hmm. So it sounds like I am categorically not getting out of a black hole I'd once I've not. passed the event horizon. I'd say not. And even, I mean, I feel like even if I'm close to the event horizon, I've probably got a bit of trouble on that, <laughs> realistically. Yeah. But can anything ever get out of a black hole? Uh, we asked Professor David this. So the real question we, we're trying to ask is, is, is what happens to those atoms and, and particles which have entered a black hole? Is there any hope that they could somehow be, be re-emitted? And the answer is yes. So this is really Stephen Hawking's great contribution to, to science, was to realise that black holes aren't quite as black as we imagined uh, and aren't quite this this enclosed region from which nothing can ever escape. So you have to throw a bit of quantum mechanics in the mix. But very, very slowly, these black holes will emit the particles that are inside them. So, so very slowly means, you know, much times much, much greater than the existing uh, lifetime of the universe. But these things will, will slowly be emitted and the black hole will slowly shrink in size and then there's the question about what, what happens at the end. What, does the black hole just disappear? Does it evaporate completely? Is there something left? Uh, and this is sort of where we're stuck. This is um, one of the things we, we haven't figured out yet. But if we do not destroy ourselves, I believe that we will one day venture to the stars. So you can get a little bit of stuff out of a black hole 
But, but it, why didn't you say that? Then? <laughs> it's called Hawking radiation, and it comes from. Why is that? Uh, Hawking came up with it. Oh. Amazingly, mm-hmm. uh, one of his great contributions, I think, 1974. He worked out that quantum mechanics, which tells you that nothing is ever precisely defined, means that you can't have zero energy. So there's always a little bit of sort of bubbling energy. It's called the vacuum energy. And what happens is that, that that constantly creates pairs of particles, a particle and antiparticle, in, even in empty space. So empty space isn't actually empty. Because of quantum mechanics, you've got these little virtual particles, as they're called. One's a particle, one's an antiparticle. And they, they just bubble up and they annihilate with each other and they disappear again. And this is constantly going on. Like space is basically frothing. So if you imagine that happening at the edge of a black hole on the event horizon... So we're frothing away. We're frothing away. And you get these this pair of particles that's, that's produced, and one of them actually falls into the black hole, and the other one just floats away. And all of a sudden, we've got this black hole effectively emitting radiation, in that this particle has just got out, gone away. So so you've got particles streaming out of a black hole. And has it been ever, detected, the no, no, it hasn't. Right, okay. Nobody's ever seen it. And if it were detected, Hawking would get a Nobel Prize. And until it is, he won't. But he believes that the this radiation, his radiation, is making the, the black hole lose energy. Yeah. So it loses energy and eventually it evaporates and disappears. Have we seen that happen? No. The sort of sense that I'm getting overall from this very enjoyable conversation is that we don't really know what's going on do we inside these black holes <laughs> that is very much the case and it's a big big area of debate at the moment there's a thing called the the black hole information paradox which comes out of this hawking radiation thing and this is a big heated debate at the moment amongst the high-end theoretical physicists you know the ones don't you the, <laughs> yeah, thorn. Me, yeah hawking thorn tong yeah. uh-huh. the essential question is if a black hole eventually evaporates as we've said then all that stuff that it swallowed during the time, you could describe that with information, right? You know, there is information in that black hole that's gone in there. So you right. can break things down to, to, you know, the structure of a leaf. You could describe, you know, you, you could write down, it looks like this, you know, and so there's information in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it falls into a black hole. That information is inside the black hole. Mm-hmm. The black hole disappears. Where did the information go? Now, that's not a problem with classical physics. You can sort of get rid of information. But in quantum physics, which is, we think, you know, what should rule the roost, you cannot destroy information. And so the big, big debate at the moment is what happens to that information? How do we account for the fact that it seems to disappear? If your leaf analogy works, the information is that sort of external, like we're creating a sort of blueprint for what we're looking at, going, okay, but this is this is what describes this thing. Yeah. But that's separate from the thing itself, isn't it? People think that it's more fundamental. So everything is fundamentally information that we detect as physical objects, right? Uh, And so the black hole distills it down to information, if you like. And you have information there as the most fundamental thing in the universe. And quantum theory certainly tells you that information is really, really important. It's, It's all about just understanding the information. And black holes are, and the universe indeed, is processing information effectively like a great big computer. So where that information disappears to is a big, big problem. But I was prepared. I knew the theory. I knew. Reality's different. Something seemed wrong about dreaming my life for me. I learned what I could from the black hole. But I couldn't send anything to father. We've been receiving, but nothing gets out. Go on then. This, this is your moment. <laughs> Quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics. Give us a little overview. 
So uh, quantum mechanics describes what happens on very, very small scales. You break us down to atoms and you know, consistent parts of our atoms, and they obey laws that we, we call quantum mechanics, quantum physics. And these laws are very, very different to our everyday experience. So things can be in two places at once, for instance. They can be in two different states at once, like moving forwards and backwards at the same time. Uh, and so when you build up the world according to quantum mechanics, it, you, know, you get down there and it looks really, really different and fundamentally sort of blows your mind. On the other hand, I think I can safely say that uh, nobody understands quantum mechanics. <laughs> now, if you appreciate this and don't take the lecture too seriously that you really have to understand in terms of some model what I'm going to describe... And just relax and enjoy it. I'm going to tell you what nature behaves like. And if you will simply admit that maybe she does behave like this, you will find her a delightful, entrancing thing. The thing that I really liked about the film is that they talk about trying to get to the quantum data. And quantum data is the, the information inside a black hole? This can be our next question. In fact, yes. that'll, that'll make it easier. So this is question three. Why are we so desperate to discover what's inside? Why, why do we want to access this quantum data? We have two current theories that work unbelievably well to describe the, the, the universe we live in. And, and one is quantum mechanics, and in particular quantum mechanics applied to the various forces and particles that, that, that we know about, things like electromagnetism and nuclear forces. And uh, the other one is gravity. It's the theory that Einstein gave us. It's called general relativity. And it, it also works spectacularly well at describing the universe on, on very big scales. And we've been struggling now for, for almost 100 years to, to try and put these things together, to try and reconcile quantum mechanics and, uh, and gravity. And uh, in terms of practical purposes, although practical is uh, sort of um, in the eye of the beholder here, you know, the places where quantum mechanics and, and gravity are going to come together are, are really just twofold. Uh, one is in the very early universe, so, so what happened in the Big Bang, and the other one is in the centre of a black hole. Einstein's theory of gravity only seems to work well when you're talking about long-distance physics, not the short distances that are very relevant to subatomic distance scales. That, for example, those tiny little distance scales would have been happening when the, the universe was a tiny fraction of a second old, just after it had gone bang to create the cosmos. So at the singularity, if you want to be able to understand what happens with the physics, you have to have a better theory than Einstein's theory there. Because whenever you ask Einstein's gravity, what's the curvature of space-time at the singularity? It says infinity. You ask Einstein's theory, what's the probability of finding an electron near the singularity? And it says infinity. And you keep asking it lots of physics questions, and it goes, infinity, infinity, infinity. And that kind of tells you that Einstein's beautiful theory of general relativity that describes all the gravitational phenomena we know about in the solar system and the galaxy and the entire cosmos, Einstein's theory, if you want to push it, really, and understand what happens deep inside a black hole, then you need to understand quantum gravity. You need to have a much better version of gravity that can incorporate quantum physics, and quantum physics is the physics of very small things. The amazing thing is that black holes are these, these places where quantum theory and relativity come together and are clearly both sort of almost working there, but neither of them quite work. And this is why we need this quantum theory of gravity. And Einstein was trying to work towards it and couldn't manage it, and nobody's managed it since, so fair enough. Is there a, is there a point at which they kind of switch over? What's the point at which Einstein's 
general relativity stops working and that quantum mechanics takes over? Nobody knows. So, so we, we know in which regime you know, quantum mechanics works really well. So tiny, 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 tiny things. And we know that you know, if we're dealing with cosmological kind of distances, then we need general relativity. And quantum theory has nothing to say about those things. It's not like you can, you can sort of say, okay, but what happens if we apply quantum theory to the orbit of Saturn? I mean, it's just it's nonsensical. It doesn't work for that. Right, And so we don't know where they mesh. We don't know exactly how to mesh these two things together. And as she says, you know, when you start doing just the, the calculations, what you find is that everything goes to infinity. So you can't get a sensible answer out of any question you ask. Whereas you can get sensible answers from quantum mechanics? Yeah, as long as you apply it to a very tightly defined sort of set of things that are following quantum physics laws. Hmm. So if we can work out where and how these two things mesh that's the ultimate aim right that's the yeah that's the holy grail of theoretical physics yeah that's the theory of everything yes there are two main candidates to understanding quantum mechanics and, and gravity so one of them is called string theory and one of them is called a loop quantum gravity and although they both sound like they have little loops in them uh, loops of string and loops of other stuff uh, they're really very very different theories Loop quantum gravity is, is perhaps uh, the most conservative uh, approach. Uh, what it does is it, it takes Einstein's equations and it, it just tries to, to reconcile them almost by brute force with quantum mechanics. And the way it does it is by, is by thinking about the equations on a very, very small scale where it uh, envisages that space and time has some kind of discrete structure. So space and time isn't quite continuous as we, we perceive it, but it's, it's something a bit more uh, lumpy on, on small scales. The other candidate is, is called string theory. Just what is string theory? What are these strings? String theory is just a very simple idea that says... What are the fundamental constituents of the universe and are they what the science teachers at high school have taught, taught us all, the, all these years? After all, we're taught that inside molecules are atoms. Inside atoms, there are the nucleus and then the little electrons going around. Then inside the nucleus, there are protons and neutrons. Inside the protons and neutrons, there are quarks and gluons that hold them together. And when we're taught about standard model of particle physics, we're told that point-like particles are obviously the most fundamental constituents of matter because you can't divide them. But string theorists said, well, how well do we know actually that everything is built out of point particles? Suppose we posit that instead the fundamental Lego blocks of the universe out of which everything is built are actually one-dimensional strands of energy called strings. And the utility of strings, they are more complicated objects than particles, obviously. You know from uh, plucking a guitar string that it can make different musical notes according to how you choose to pluck the string. In a similar way, string theory, although it's a more complicated Lego block to start with, its versatility means that strings vibrating in different ways, a bit like corresponding to different musical notes, would correspond to different subatomic particles in nature. No. Clearly. No. no it's obvious, no, no. really, when you look at it. I've had a go on string theory before, and uh, I, I, I can't get anywhere with it. I can't... Even the basic 
Well, I guess there isn't anything basically about it. But the the first sort of thing they tell you about it, I just don't. Well, I can't compute it. The thing is, you, you just have to accept what they're telling you at face value. So they mm. say, oh, well, you know, the fundamental unit of everything is this one-dimensional string, and it vibrates, and the different ways in which it vibrates creates different particles. So an electron is a vibration in one way, and a quark is a vibration in another way. And you go from there, and then you build up all these things. But essentially, the problem is that actually, this whole thing is developed in mathematics. You know, we talk about it in the English language, and the English language isn't appropriate for it. So string theory gets a lot of stick, but I think it gets stick from people who don't speak the language. And I think that's the problem that they have, is that actually, when you know the maths, it kind of feels quite natural to do it this way. But if you don't know the maths, it just sounds like they're making it all up. Yeah, my maths is okay, but it's... Not it's pretty good hard math for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, times tables do not come into it. <laughs> the other thing about string theory is that it throws up lots of weird stuff as well, doesn't it? Yeah, so one of the big problems that we have with it is that it only works if you've got 11 dimensions, as we've talked about. So, mm-hmm. so you know, literally, the theory doesn't hold together if you've got fewer than that. And then you get things that actually sort of help it sort of make sense. There's one called the holographic principle, which basically solves the black hole information problem. You know, this idea that information is getting destroyed by saying that the information is actually held on the event horizon, but in kind of multiple dimensions. And and then you, know, you can extrapolate that actually to, to saying that we're all projections of information that's held at the edge of the universe in multiple dimensions as well. And it also starts to get a little bit fishy. Yeah, I've I've read that before, the idea that we're all sort of holograms or yeah. holographic projections from the edge of the universe. And I I don't know. I don't feel like a projection from the edge <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> but I guess I could be. Well, you know, how would you know? And that's the other thing about string theory is how do you test it? Um, and nobody's coming up with ways of actually saying, okay, let's do an experiment. Oh, yeah, that works, that doesn't work. And sort of, you know, trimming it down a little bit. And presumably... Um, how long is a piece of string? Depends. So we've trimmed it. Thank you. Is there any way, any plans to identify or like prove the existence of a string? No, because you basically need a particle accelerator the size of a couple of galaxies in order to accelerate particles to energies where you would start to see them decompose into strings. What about loop quantum gravity then, the other one? Ah, it's not really a runner these days. It's sort Is it of, not? No, no. I'm, David was very kind mentioning it, but nobody's really making a lot of progress with loop quantum gravity, I have to say. So string theory is in some ways the only game in town. So loop quantum gravity, not likely. String theory, maybe. Is it not possible that actually it's just something totally different that we can't get our head around? I think that's it. I think for, for my money, we just haven't got a theory that is credible yet. And hopefully somebody will come up with one. But at the minute, we haven't got a sniff of what that nothing, might be. Nothing, nothing at all. Absolutely no. nothing. The cupboard is bare. But if someone does come up with a theory of everything, does that mean that we'll finally know what happened at the start of the universe? Theoretically, yes. Which would be amazing. That's big, isn't it? It's huge. That's as big as it gets. Yeah. Michael closed his eyes then. Michael's emotional. <laughs> Um, let's so let's have a look back at our, our three questions then. So, do black holes exist? Yes, easy. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. They do. Anybody who doesn't think they exist is, in my book, a numpty. Yeah, that maybe their brain's been spaghettified. <laughs> um, although then they probably would believe in black holes. Second question was, what would happen if I jumped in or you 
Well, it's it's difficult to answer. I'd prefer to watch for for starters. Uh, you want to watch me glow red and then glow and, red, and disappear. Dim. Yeah, uh, for you on the other side of the event horizon, uh, nothing much happens if it's a big enough black hole, but it is certain death. Or you escape into an extra dimension just to give you that glimmer of hope before oh, you die. Thank you, mate. And the third question was, uh, why do we want to discover what's inside a black hole? And that is because we want to unify yeah, it gives us theory the, the and theory of general everything. relativity. So we yeah. have a theory of everything. The ultimate knowledge, the mind of God, as Stephen Hawking put it. The mind of God. I like that. I might write that down. I think it's a natural question is uh, why explore space? Part of human nature is to reach out and explore. Okay, case. The fact of the matter is if man stops really stretching himself and extending himself and looking looking out, then I think that's when civilization will begin to decline. It's all black. It's all, see, really? It's all blackness. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Hannah Walker-Brown and Max Sanderson. The researcher was Cormac McAuliffe. This episode featured Professor David Tong, Professor Amanda Peet, Professor Poshat Gandhi, and Professor Marika Taylor. What was that? First handshake. We're... We're here. Weirdly, I'm going to call my autobiography The Mind of God. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.